and welcome to Swill Podcast with Alex and Jake. I'm Alex. Hello. And that's Jake. And we're here to talk about all things drink and drink related. Wine, beer, cocktails, bartending, culture, ice, glassware, you name it, we'll probably end up talking about it. Anything drink related. And occasionally we'll talk about things that aren't drink related, like cool dogs that we meet on the way here. I did meet a Boston Terrier today. I fed him popcorn. That's that's delightful. But today we're going to be talking about wine. And uh, what wine are we talking about today, Jake? We're talking about Carmenere. Carmenere. The greatest wine story kind of never told. Until now. Until now. Uh, one thing I think we should note going into this is that this is not a wine show. Um, we're not talking about the nuances of oak and cherries and caramel no, and wet no. wet dog you're going to get off of this. Uh, none of that. No, we're definitely not going to talk about that. We are here to tell stories about wine, about grapes, about things that are related to wine and how they came to be or why they went away. In the case of Carmenere, you have both. It went away and it came back and we'll get to that. And But this isn't a podcast like, well, if you swirl the wine correctly 90 degrees clockwise in a 57 degree room, occasionally you'll find aromas of cherry, oak. Mm, yes. Mm, yes. Indeed. Mm, yes. Mm-hmm. It tastes mm. a strong essence of, I believe it's red grapes. Ah, there. yes. The red grape wine, my favorite. <laughs> mm. Only the French know how. Jammy. Uh, oh, jammy. The best. Oh god, <laughs> jammy wine. There is a wine that people make, and it's called jam. Just jam. That's it. Yep. I think there's a Chardonnay out there too called butter. <laughs> you can have a you can have a butter. You can get your breakfast right there. Little Chardonnay, little jam, some butter, <laughs> little bread. Little Brett. There's probably one of those, too. Brett. Brett. You can have a beer with it. Brett. Mm. Brett butter and jam. That's off topic. Saison. 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 But on the other hand, we do suggest that since we're talking about Carmenere, go ahead and pick up a bottle of of Carmenere to drink while we we talk about this. We always suggest drinking whatever it is that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. We want you to experience what we're talking about. We're not here to tell you what to buy or what to drink. We just want to give you some helpful hints about how to make an informed decision. Mm. So on that note, though, there is a lot of misinformation about Carmenere from what I understand. And it seems like there's been a lot of stigma around it. That is a that is a great word to describe it. We should get into the history of Carmenere because that as we unfold that, it will start to shed light on what that stigma is and why it exists. So... Well, let's go way back in our little time machine. Back uh, to Bordeaux, which most people, if you say, oh, wine, Bordeaux, those are almost synonymous with one another. And Bordeaux is synonymous with quality. That and Burgundy, I would say, are the two most famous wine regions in the world. Absolutely. And everybody knows that. And everybody knows what a Burgundy is. They might not know what grapes are in it. And everybody knows what a Bordeaux is. Again, they might not know what grapes are in it. Sure. And lo and behold... One of the grapes of Bordeaux is Carmenere, and that is one of the allowed grape varieties to be included in a Bordeaux blend, you know, along with Cabernet Franc, Cabernet Sauvignon, Petit Verdot, Malbec, and, um, or Merlot. Yeah, that one. Thank you, Isaac. Thanks, Isaac. (laughs) (laughs) So what you're telling me, Jake, is that all Carmenere is blended. Not all Carmenere. (gasps) Uh, Up until a certain point um, in France, and the history of grape growing and winemaking, um, Carmenere was another grape that was added to give body and character and certain nuances to Bordeaux grapes, predominantly in the area of Medoc in, um, in, the, in Bordeaux. And this was a 
grape variety that winemakers, vignerons would add in small quantities to their either predominantly Cabernet or predominantly Merlot blends. Okay. You know, they're like, oh yeah, this Carbonair is going to give it a nice little kick. It's going to round up my wine. It's just going to make it better. And they do the same thing with Petit Verdot. They do the same thing with Malbec. Some producers might not use any. Some producers might use, you know, 10% of a total blend. Um, and that was just the way things were done. Um, up until Phylloxera, which I will not spell for you, but there's an X and a Y and a PH in it. And phylloxera has a lot of history, a lot of impact on not only the wine industry, but also the American spirit industry, uh, in particular the way that it wiped out brandy grapes and kind of led to the, the rise of whiskey in the United States. But that's definitely for another podcast. But really quickly, it's a bacteria, right? It isn't, actually. Uh, it is actually, a, for lack of a better word, a, a louse. It is oh, a little gross. insect uh, that... I did not realize that. Yes, it's not bacteria at all. It actually feeds on the roots of grapevines, and it essentially gnaws on the grapevine. It sucks the the juice, the sap, the moisture out of the grapevine, and over time, it will eventually kill the grape fry. And it's the, destructive. The Extremely destructive. It wipes out entire crops of wine. I, I equate phylloxera to cancer. There is no cure for right. phylloxera. What phylloxera does, once you get it in your vineyard, you're never getting rid of it. It will move slowly over time from row to row, from vine to vine, as it uh, spreads. There are certain soil types that it does worse in, like sandy soils. It doesn't really like sandy soils. You see um, there are areas of Bordeaux, there are areas of the Rhone that did not see a lot of uh, damage from phylloxera because they had sandier soils. Lucky them. Uh, particularly um, Bordeaux, which is pretty much exclusively gravels like gravel soil types, was like, yep, I'm home here. I'm going to just wreak havoc in the vineyards. And that's what happened to these. That's what happened. It was in the 1860s. Phylloxera made its way and to that France. Right, and that coincides with the whiskey rise and everything, exactly. so that makes sense. Interestingly enough, um, so phylloxera is actually endemic or native to North America, and it hitched rides on grapevines that were sent to Europe. In okay. Because there are native North American grapes like Concord, Niagara grapes, uh, Vitis lambrusca is uh, a genus species of grape varieties here in the U.S. That's what they use um, in Italian wines, right? No, that's lambrusco, which oh. is a grape variety of the Vitis vinifera genus and species. And I remember last week's podcast, you said that you were not at all a wine expert, and here you are proving yourself wrong a, a little bit. I am not a wine expert, but uh, there are definitely certifications, and there are people who know and spend a great deal of their life studying and becoming wine experts. Yeah, I think they're like called, really... I don't know, sommelier or something like yeah, that. Yeah, something like that, you know. Masters of wine. I've seen that show. So, so they brought it back from the United States. It came or, to excuse the, me, from North America. Yes, and it got into Europe, and it just went crazy. And Vitis vinifera vines had never seen this before, so it didn't have a defense. And that's why nowadays you see pretty much all grape vines are grafted onto North American roots. So you have the roots of North, native North American vines grafted onto the vines of Chardonnay, Riesling, Cabernet Sauvignon, Carmenere, what have you. Because these North American vines were... Um, resistant. Resistant to yep. phylloxera. Yep. They uh, they wouldn't kill them. So it took a really long time for France to figure that out. They tried, they tried like, okay, we're going to flood the vineyards. Okay, we're going to burn the vineyards. Okay, we're going to like dig up all the soil and replace it. We're going to spread sulfur all over the vineyards. They did everything imaginable to get rid of phylloxera because it was damaging their economy, their crops, their whole livelihood. I mean, centuries old. And their culture as well. I mean, Absolutely. it's such an important aspect of French culture is mm -hmm. their wine culture. Mm -hmm. And that was despairing because of this little 
bug. It makes me so tragic to be a, a you know, a 19th century vintner and just having your entire livelihood and your history and probably your, you know, family's generations back having all of this destroyed by some little varmint. Yeah, it's a nasty bug. little bugger and it's still around. I mean, it pops up everywhere. So it wipes um, out these it wiped out the vineyards of board, well, pretty much all of France. Uh, it was too cold in Champagne. It didn't really ever get up to Champagne. It was too cold. Good. Um, Good. But in Bordeaux, where it's a maritime climate and it's quite warm and humid, it went crazy. So we lost Carmenere in we France. We lost Carmenere. We lost a lot of things. And when the French went back, when they figured out what it was and were like, this is what we have to do, they uh, they didn't really replant Carmenere. Um, it was a very small percentage of overall Like you said, less production. than 10% a lot of, of certain blends and oh, wasn't yeah. even in certain blends. So. Exactly. And it just, it wasn't the main grapes of Bordeaux, which are Cabernet and Isaac. What, what's that other one? Merlot. Oh, Merlot. There yeah. it is. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. So Carmenere, for all intents and purposes, was gone. Exactly. It disappeared. It just went by the wayside. That's well, why we're not drinking Carmenere right now. That's exactly why we're not drinking Carmenere right now. Except we are. Mm thanks to a country called Chile. In the 1850s, um, a lot of wealthy Chileans, um, in an effort to, they're like, hey, I got a lot of land, I'm a farmer, I have a, you know. And these wealthy Chileans, were they expatriates? Were they Spanish? Uh, it, was a, it was a mix. A lot of them were French, a lot of them were Spanish, a lot of them, some were Croatian. But not a lot of native. Uh, no, I mean, most of them had been in Chile maybe a generation or so. Right. Um, but they realized, like, hey, you know, I'm a, I'm a, the landed gentry, sure. if you will, and I want to have a vineyard. Um, it's what my ancestors in the old world would do. Well, Bordeaux is the greatest wine region on earth, so I'm going to go there and get vines. So they did that in the 1850s, and they just grabbed whatever they could. They're like, oh, take some of this, take some of this, take some of this. They didn't really label anything, and it all came back to Chile, and they threw it in the ground. They're like, okay, that's red, and this is white. <laughs> Just as a quick note, though, we should mention that your history, uh, a lot of your history with wine involves Wines of Chile. Yeah. You worked for a company, in fact, called Wines of Chile. Uh, Vine Connections as their Chilean ambassador. Is that the right term? Yeah, exactly. Um, I so was you the spent, Chile guy. So you spent years in Chile um, with some of the smaller vineyards, the more uh, boutique vineyards, and some really serious winemaking down there. Yeah, I, I had the opportunity to go to Chile about well over a dozen times. That's amazing. And um, so you know what you're talking about with Chilean wines. I, I, if there's one thing I'm an expert on in the wine world, uh, it's maybe Chile. Y you can say it. It's okay. I, I, I'll let other people make up their minds. Jake's very humble. So um, these Chilean landowners, they planted these European grapes that they tore up from France and just put in the ground, kind of willy nilly. What as they planted the grapes, they're like, I'm gonna throw red in here, white in here. Um, they, unbeknownst to them picked up Carmenere from France before Phylloxera hit. So this is right before Phylloxera hit Europe. Mm -hmm. This is in the early 1850s. So so Carmenere was basically gone in Europe, and it was planted in Chile without anyone knowing it. No one had any idea. I mean, maybe they knew at the time, but it just sure. got lost over the generations. Right. And for all intents and purposes, we have to fast forward 140 years. November 20th, 1994, a date which will live forever in the annuals of wine history and, and should be celebrated uh, and, and is starting to become celebrated every year. But that was the date of the rediscovery of Carmenere at, coincidentally, a winery called Carmen. It just happened to be called it Carmen. It just happened to be called Carmen. That's fantastic. And it was the name of the founder's wife. So this was one of those vineyards that had probably planted... They had planted Unknowingly Carmenere. Con planted Carmenere 
150 years ago. Exactly, and then just kept propagating it. And you know, this wasn't 150; these weren't 150 year old vines. Sure, they were but, cloned and, and replanted and everything. Exactly. So there was a a French guy visiting Vigna Carmen, whose name was Jean Michel Borsico. Excellent name. And yeah, excellent name. Very French. Very. Uh, and he is, he's still alive, um, an ampelographer. And an ampelographer is a? An ampelographer is someone who studies grapevines, grape clusters, um, grape leaves. He can, he is a grape genius. A very specific type of wine nerd. Exactly. I mean. About the, the grapes and the, mm-hmm. and the vines themselves. Exactly. And he's not, let's say, a vineyard manager or viticulturalist. He is an expert on grapes. And he could look at the hundreds of different grape varieties by eye and be like, Merlot, Cabernet, Riesling, Carmenere. And that's exactly what happened. As they were walking through the vineyards at Vigna Carmen, they were showing him their vine. And they're like, this is our Merlot, because Chile was very famous for Merlot in the 80s and 90s. Okay. Uh, a lot of Merlot came to the U.S., and that's how people really got to know Chile- Chilean wine was Chilean Merlot. I have to give the Chileans credit here. They, they knew enough that they recognized that they had Merlot, and they had this other thing that was like Merlot, but its leaves turned a different color and it just ripened at a different time. But they thought it was a mutation. They, so they called it Merlot Chileno. Which is a completely understandable oh, totally. mistake to make. There's the lots of meat. Right. Yep. Pinot Noir will mutate like crazy. Oh, yeah. And uh, among other grape varieties. But uh, So it's totally understandable that they thought that this was a mutation of Merlot. So they called it Merlot Chileno. So this guy came in... And, and he's he's the only person who, who probably would have been able to look at that and say no, oh, that's yeah, this not. Is like, he is Pinot Noir Chileno. One other, there's like only him. Right. I mean, it's so like the stars aligned for this to happen, and they're like, this is Chateau, our, you know, Conan. Chilean Merlot. And he's like, wait a second, that's not a grape variety. I know all of the grape varieties. I'm Jean-Michel Borsico, and I'm a genius. <laughs> I hope he said all of those words. I really did, too. And I hope it was in that perfect English without an accent. <laughs> and um, he went and looked at the grape varieties, and he was like, this is Carmenere. This is a grape that has been lost for well over 100 years. So it never came back to France no. until... I wow. Mean, maybe in pockets here and there, but like it wasn't for the most on part, the it was, world stage. Right, it was gone. This is a grape variety that used to be, it was an integral part of Bordeaux blends. How did he even recognize that he had just studied the, hey, the drawings, pictures? He, right. he, he knew his stuff. That must have been amazing for him as well to it was find something like that. And it was about four weeks later after they sent cuttings off to the lab and that they were able to look at the DNA. And they're Very like, cool. this is actually Carmenere. Wow. That dude's totally right. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I know. I looked at it. I don't need a lab. My eyes are my lab. And I also hope he said all of those things. I really do, too. I, I call him. I'll be like, Jean-Michel, did you say all this? Did you listen to our podcast? And he would say, oui. I'd be like, merci. Um, so um, after that, uh, Chile, other wineries in Chile were like, oh, well, we have Chilean Merlot. Maybe we have Carmenere. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> um, and that's pretty much exactly what happened. Wow. Uh, so all of a sudden, there was all this Carmenere that people didn't even know that they had. And were they blending this at the time? They they weren't blending it. It was just all marketed under Merlot. And we'll, we'll get to the, why that was a bad thing and why that contributed to Chile having a bad rap. Okay, great. Um, but so many wineries realized, I actually have a lot of Carmenere. I 
did not know that. What do I? What is that? What do I do with that? What does that mean? It's not Merlot, so it's car- what do I do? We've been doing this wrong pr- probably the last few yeah, years. Yeah, they had so. no idea, and it wasn't. And it was in 1996 that um, so two years later, two years later, that a uh, winery called Di Martino, one of my favorite wineries in Chile. Awesome, um, great family, great winery in um, Isla de Maipo in the Maipo Valley of Chile, which is the region that Santiago is in. Okay, and um, brilliant winemaker there, Marcelo Retamal. Um, just a crazy man, brilliant guy. Um, and they were the first to produce a varietally, varietally labeled Carmenere in 1996. I actually got to try it uh, when I was down at their winery. They brought out a bottle. It wasn't the 96, it was the 98 that I tried, but the f- 96 was the first. But you still tried one of the original, one of the original, original bottlings of that. Um, that so, was just 20 years ago. And is this too late to ask, or is this too early to ask you about um, how that changed? I mean, how the harvest changed for when oh, they realized it was Carmenere. No, so that's a good that, time to. That's a good segue, actually, and um, and this kind of gets into a little bit about why Chile has a bad rap, correct? Yes, absolutely. Uh, basically, Carmenere ripens six weeks later than Merlot. That's a pretty big gap. <laughs> so when you harvest those two things together, you're gonna get underripe wine. Carmenere kind of had two things going for it. It, it was being harvested early, and Carmenere naturally has a green herbaceous character to it. Uh, which is caused by a compound called pyrazines. We're going to talk a little bit about flavor and things in this yeah, podcast. We'll, I mean, we'll get to that. We can't talk about wine without at least talking about the tasting notes. Oh, not at all. And particularly with Carmen, you have to talk about right. pyrazines. So the other thing about it. Uh, so, you know, they realized there was a lot of Chilean Merlot coming to the U.S. in the 80s and the 90s, but it was all blended with Carmen hair. And so that was bringing down the quality of it a bit. Absolutely. Because it was being picked six weeks early. Absolutely, because you pick an underripe wine, it doesn't matter what grape variety sure. it is, it's going to taste green. Right. Because uh, it's just not fully ripe. And that's exactly what was happening with Chile. And that was the predominant export of Chile was Merlot. So when these guys, sorry, what was it again? D. De... Martino. When they were bottling and selling their Carmenero, that was really the first time that they were harvesting it at the proper time of year, Well, they didn't quite figure it out that quickly. Sure, that makes Um, sense. But they were like, okay, this is Carmenero. We're going to harvest it and bottle it separately. But they didn't really know when to, how to grow it yet or where to grow it. They have figured that out in the last 10 years. So it's still relatively recent. Absolutely. So Um, that's another reason why maybe Carmenero has a little bit of a bad rap itself. It's still kind of nascent. It's still one of the most recent varietals being made these days. So it took a while to really figure out how to do that. Absolutely. I mean, we revere Burgundy and Bordeaux. They've been doing this for a thousand years. Right, right. Chile was able to figure out what they had and turn around and start produce great world-class Carmenere world-class wine for that matter, but turn Carmenere around in 10 years. And, And even more than like, Merlot or Malbec, this is a Chilean wine. This is their this, this is, is their the, varietal. Exactly. It is the signature grape of Chile is what I like to call it. A lot of people would be like, oh, Carmenere is like the Malbec of Chile. And I was like, not at all. You're totally wrong. Carmenere is the <laughs> Carmenere of Chile. Carmenere is a Carmenere of Chile. And it never will be the Malbec of, of Argentina. It just the grape doesn't have the same flavor characters that Malbec no. does to make it that appealing. Carmenere has much more of a smoky character, a spicy character a herbaceous character Some oftentimes of that. well that pyrazine we can talk whenever i was on the road and i would always talk to psalms and they'd be like ah carmenere i don't know how many people would be like okay we're gonna go to this next account uh they hate chilean wine so we're gonna go there i'm like <laughs> what's wrong with you what you're like hey i'm gonna i want you to meet my friends they hate you 
<laughs> they uh, already hate you, but you're going to go. But you've never met them. But hey, come and try to befriend them anyway. Yeah, you're we're going to get you to uh, really get them to like you somehow. Don't even worry about it. You'll do it. You'll uh, you know, figure it out. So that happened occasionally. But uh, a lot of people have very strong opinions about Carmenere because so many people, particularly in the wine world, grew up drinking you know, Chilean wine in the 90s. And they're like, this is rough. Before they had really figured out yeah. how to harvest it, how to bottle yeah. it. And, uh, I mean, the industry in Chile is old, young, but... Um, so really, I mean, not to put too much on you here, but, you know, you were one of the, the bigger people in the Chilean wine industry for a while, I would argue. I mean, you were up there. At I, least you I gave a lot a, of lectures. You were around the whole country talking to Psalms and, and wine stores and everything. I had an opportunity to be a good voice and advocate for a country I really cared about. And so this varietal must be very close to your heart and... Mm-hmm. Um, and you were probably kind of a bigger person to help introduce it to some people. And I, I you know, all that I ask is people give it a try. Right. And um, I, some of these better bottles. And yeah, you know, I'd always tell sommeliers, I'd be like, well, do you like Chinon, which is a region in the Loire, which predominantly produces Cabernet Franc? And they would answer, oui. I, <laughs> yes. And I'd be like, that's great. Um, did you know that Carmenere? is a descendant of Cabernet Franc, and they both have the same flavor compound called pyrazine. Guess what? So does Cabernet Sauvignon and Sauvignon Blanc. Carmenere, depending on where it's grown, I mean, that's something that a lot of people don't ascribe to Chile yet as terroir, which terroir absolutely affects Carmenere, and Chile absolutely has it. The the heart of the homeland of Carmenere in Chile is the Colchagua Valley. I mean, to me, the best regions for growing car- the best areas for growing Carmenere are the Apalta, which is a horseshoe-shaped, iconic little horseshoe area within Colchagua. Um, Los Lingues, which is an area of Colchagua, but much closer to the Andes, to the east. And then another area called uh, Peumo, uh, which is in uh, Cachapual. I think it should be interesting to note that Chile is actually longer than the United States is wide. Is that correct? Yes. So it has a huge yes, range of, of geography. Mm-hmm. And it also has a, a really large altitude shifts in some areas, right? Yes. Chile is only, it's about 3,000 miles long and about 100 miles wide on average, <laughs> 120 miles wide. And the wine region is about 1,000 miles long. Okay. And you go from... So that's an incredible oh, it's amount huge. of variation. Absolutely. Then. Uh, Elki in the north, which is a desert, to, you know, Mayeco in the south. and um, Which you're getting close to frozen tundra at that point, right? When you're you get still that about a thousand south. miles away. So about a thousand miles away. Uh, Mayeco is like Oregon. Because that country is just so long. Mm-hmm. It's very temperate. It rains. It's uh, There's volcanoes. Uh, that's that where you get more were... of the volcanic soils there. Right. Um, so we're getting a little bit arcane with some of this talk now. Some of this region stuff's a little vague, but... Um, where do you so you said Carmenere took ten years or so to get its foothold, or to get its identity in the world? Where do you see Carmenere now? I mean, if you're if you're going back out and talking with sommeliers again and talking with wine people, or just talking to people who like wine and have never maybe tasted this, I mean, what would you? Carmenere in Chile, it, it's still getting its foothold. It's still there are still people out there who look at it and they're like, ah, no thanks. Sure. Uh, people just got to give it a chance, really, and they have they have to go. So many people have had it not realize they had it or had it and they had a bad one, they need to go back and because they had an underripe one or something that was just way too green and vegetable, vegetal, go back and try it again. Uh, you know, are there other places that you could go look at Carmenere and try Carmenere from? 
yes, like other regions. Is France starting to pick some up as well, or have they kind of reclaimed some of their lost Carbonara? I would say Chile produces 95% of the world's Carbonara. Wow, so like we said before, it really is Chile's grape. Absolutely. I mean, there are a few chateaus that have started to plant it again that are like, of course I want this. This will make my wine better in the years. And they don't use it every year. They're like, it ripened this year. I'll use it. Hmm. And it'll make my wine better. Um, Washington State has a little tiny bit of Carbonara. Oregon, I just found this out last dirt for Carbonara week or Carbonara day last year. Is that November? Uh, November uh, 20th. November 20th. Every year. So. Which is right now your birthday, I believe. It is. It's just before my birthday. 22. Carbonara is going to turn 22 this year. It's legal. So it's, wow, it's just. Last year it was legal. Last year it was legal to drink itself. It was. It could drink itself last year. And it was like, I'm going to put you down good. I mean, I think that mm. definitely gives some context to its age. The fact that it's younger than most of us. Yeah, it is. I mean, considerably. Yeah. Because some of us are just ancients. Well, I'm 75. Now, you're... I, I believe we determined in the first podcast that you're eternal. Mm. That's true. We, we got to get actually... some... Con- we got to keep some continuity on the show. That's true. I am eternal 75. That's just how old I feel. Right. <laughs> um. So, um... <laughs> So if we are drinking Carbonara, if we are trying it again, like you said, mm-hmm. you know, um, trying to fix it, what would you say that we have it with? So it's a red wine, but it's a little bit brighter a little, or spicier, vegetal. A little spicier. And you can get Carbonara that is quite smoky, but Carbonara tends to be a heavier grape variety, and, and it tends to be a bit more uh, on the tannic side. It's not as tannic as, say, Petit Verdot. Uh, some people literally, I don't know, I don't understand this. Some people are like, I want a grape that's going to punch my teeth out. <laughs> Like, like, that say, doesn't sound pleasurable. It's the same people who want, like, you know, mouth humper IPAs and things Yo, like that. Chris Raftery, great. I met him a few times. He is a um, winemaker. Or, pff, sorry, Chris, you're not a winemaker. You're a sommelier in New York. And he said exactly that. Carmenier, it's like hoppy wine. Huh. So hoppy wine. So for something like that, something as, as kind of red and astringent and, and tannic, my first thought, and correct me if I'm wrong, is red meat. Oh, and Chileans would be like, uh, yeah. <laughs> Carbonara goes great with red meat. I was thinking, you know, because it's summertime and um, this has a bit of spice and mm-hmm. a bit of that licorice and everything, mm-hmm. you would have it like a grilled grilled meat and vegetables picnic sort of thing. Maybe Totally. I mean, you could do a Chilean-style asado, and I love that. You know, just you get a, you get a piece of meat, like a flank steak, a, uh, a hanger steak or whatever. You cut that up in little pieces, take it around, have some of that. You eat it like a hors d'oeuvre, like a, a pass-around option, and... You have some carbonara with it. I mean, so that's pretty how Chileans ra- do it. So pretty rare, too. Yeah, medium, me- rare, medium, rare. Uh, but we're drinking it right now by itself. And, and, you know, and this wine has taken a while to open up. This is has. This has some depth to it. This is a much, and this is a producer that is known for having a rich, this is their single block, single vineyard carbonara from a producer called Vintiscaro. Which is Chilean. Which is Chilean. Um, it's their 2011 carbonara, which is, um, honestly, I think this is a perfect vintage to do this. I think Chileans release their wines their higher end wines way too early they're like here buy this right now it's two years old and you're like this is gonna last like 40 years like just hold on to it for a little bit especially with that higher body and higher tannins longer in the bottle tends to higher acid it cools off in chili so much you get such great acid retention in most of the wines but for all those you want that wine to stick around a little bit longer in the bottle to kind of mellow and open some of those flavors and and that's another thing people talk a lot about the kind of subjectivity or, or, or ridiculousness of wine and how it doesn't really open up or something. But we've discovered since we've been recording this and we opened it a little while before we started that it definitely, it. I mean, we get way more fruit now. Oh, yeah. Than when we first had it, it was tight. It was it really was, closed. It tight. tasted a little bit like a wine cork. 
uh, really oaky, and then now it's got some really some really lovely fruit and, mm-hmm. and red. And it wasn't corked. I mean, like at all. Like at first when we opened, we're like, oh, maybe, but no, no, it's just really closed. Um, yeah, really closed. But um, like I said, we're gonna talk about tasting notes. We have to a little. We bit have about to. Wine. Oh yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, but it's delicious. I really like it. It's a it's and, a different. Yeah, and you know the thing is, like people are gonna. I might go take out, some more. But... And if you want to go out and you know buy your ten dollar bottle of Carmenere, get in there. Sure. Like, get in there. This is my opinion, and it's free, so it's worth exactly that amount. If you're gonna buy Carmenere and you really want to, you're like, you know what? I want to give Carmenere a second shot, or I've never had that before. I really want to see what that's like. Spend twenty bucks. Right. That's not a lot of money. It really isn't. I mean, if you go out for dinner and get a couple of drinks you're paying more than that if you oh, get more sure. than a glass of wine at a restaurant you're paying more than that I mean, so. 20 bucks for a bottle of wine in a, in a grocery store that's that's not breaking the bank spend at least 20 bucks on a carmenere yeah the hard part and i'm sorry everyone i tried and we're still trying most wine stores won't have a lot of this we actually tried to find some earlier tonight we but- tried to Get some. Yeah, we called New Seasons, and they were a little bit worried about how many wines they'd have to tell us about when we asked them if they had Carmenere, and they, <laughs> yeah. they came back with one. I know. It's like literally, there are, you aren't going to have You're more than five. You're not going to have five. five. They had one, plus a couple of the blends. And if you do, I'll come there and buy them all right now, but I guarantee you, you don't have more than five of these. But I'm guessing that your local wine store, if you're living in a you know, kind of bigger city with some cooler wine stores, they're starting to get more and more of those, and it's starting to catch on a bit in popularity, at uh, least. Yeah, definitely. It certainly it grows and grows every year, and... If you go to a good quality wine store, if you go to a liquor store, they probably won't have this. Uh, if you go to Safeway, they'll probably have a not great one. Right. Um, they may have one of those ones that you were warning us about. They're going to have about. a Carmenere that is probably going to be higher in sugar, and it's probably going to be a little sweeter. And because they're trying to mask a lot of those, the natural kind of herbaceous character of what Carmenere is, which... Because that doesn't appeal to people, and I commend them for doing that. But if you really want to experience the grape, spend twenty bucks, and just be like, "Hey, I want your best Carmenere." Honestly, and so, and twenty bucks, like you said, not a lot for your best Carmenere. No, I mean, that's and, and think about where this came from, Bordeaux. <laughs> your twenty dollar bottle of Bordeaux. Well, I mean, you Good can luck. find it, sure. But if sure. you want to get a something that actually exemplifies, growth, right? You're spending four hundred dollars sure. at yeah. least. I mean, maybe two fifty, and most of those started with Carmenere. And the the most expensive wine in Chile is two hundred dollars. I feel like that is sort of a you're just getting a lot more value for the for right the quality. You go spend thirty bucks on a Chilean wine, you're going a lot farther in the quality of that. And thirty bucks on a like the mo- oh, here we go. The most expensive bottle of Chilean Carmenere is actually made by Conchitoro. Uh, and it's called Carmine de Peumo. Um, and it, Carmine, from the French word, this is, uh, I didn't talk about this. Carmine is how Carmenere got its name. Uh, it's a French word for crimson because the leaves turn this brilliant crimson color. So it's the leaves, not the, the grapes or the exactly. juice. Beautiful. Um, that sounds exactly. really lovely. It's still got a white pulp like any, like most red grapes. Uh, but the, the leaves turn this beautiful crimson color. We'll put some photos up when we post this podcast of some vineyards with Carmen Aaron. And we'll, really also, lovely. and we'll also add some um, on on the website, www.swillpodcast.com. We'll add some of the labels that we think you should get. And, yes, and, and just to kind of speak to the Bordeaux or the whole European versus South American thing really quickly. And I'm not trying to get too paranoid or, or, or too uh, anti-imperialist here. But I think there is something to be said about the fact that you're going to pay less money for 
a vineyard in Chile than you are a vineyard in Bordeaux. And yeah, Bordeaux has oh, hundreds certainly. of years more history, but the people there are not doing more work. Nope. I mean, they might have generations and generations informing them and behind them, and that's important. But at the same time, it's still the same amount of work. It's still the same amount of effort and love and appreciation put into a wine. It's just that there's that sort of European bias or you know bias towards European wines and this kind of condemnation of New World wines mm -hmm. that affects the price so much. Certainly. Oh, ab absolutely. I mean, uh, that was well put. I mean, thirty. Like I said, so t if it tops out at thirty dollars, that's so much lower than anything you yeah, would find in France. Honestly, so. you know, good luck finding it. Uh, right. It's not easy to find a decent Carmenere. But if you do, that's something really cool, and you should uh, you, you should, should let us know. Oh yeah, and if you find some Carmenere, like, hey, they had this at this store, let us know. We'll shout. We'll call them out. Absolutely, and be tweet like, us. Hey, they're killing it. So yeah. let us know at Swill Podcast on Twitter, Swill Podcast at Instagram, Swill and... Podcast on Facebook. Yes, we're on Facebook now. You should we add need more us likes. There. Like us there. Any last last little notes you want to say about this lovely wine that we're drinking? I would say that Carmenere will continue to exist on the fringes of wine society for a long time. I don't think it'll ever become a mainstream grape. But... So you're saying it's kind of the punk rock grape? Yes, I am. Awesome. And get in there. That's all I got to say. Just get in there and try it. Like it, it, It's wine. You're drinking wine. It's not going to hurt you. Love it. Um, next week, we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the southern areas. Yeah, we're, we're going to go south again. We're going to go south again, and we're going to go uh, talk a little bit more about terroir-focused spirits. Yes, and... Alex is going to lead us through what he might argue is his most favorite spirit. I love it so much. I'm really starting to seriously geek out about it. We're going to talk about mezcal next week. Ah, I can't <laughs> wait. It's going to be great. It's going to be a little more hectic, I think. It will be. Yeah, yeah, it'll be. It'll be. It'll be a different tone. It'll be a different tone. <laughs> <laughs> was a little. It was a little. It was a little serious this week. I feel like. I feel I'm passionate about you it. You are. I love it. I appreciate it. You know, it. I'm just like, hey, don't knock it until you try it. Right. And you've. It's been knocked so much, like you said. Oh, so. it's been knocked by so many people. And some people listen to this and be like, screw Carmenere. I've tried them all. They're terrible. I'm like, well, you know what? Then don't sell it. Sell something else. So go grab a bottle of Carmenere, something yeah. slightly higher end. Throw it down 18, 20 bucks. This bottle that we have is a single vineyard, high-end Carmenere from, this is, uh, you know, Vinti Scaro. This is 22 bucks. Great. That's excellent. Thank you. Yeah. No, thank you. Thank you, listener. Yeah. Thank you, Carmenere. Good night, <laughs> Carmenere. Good night, Chile. <laughs> Good night, Swill. <laughs> Good night, Alex. This is Swill Podcast with Alex and Jake. I've been Alex. And I've been Jake. Swill Podcast is written by Jake Pippin and Alex Frame. It is produced by Isaac Parfrey with music by Isaac Parfrey. Visit us at www.swillpodcast.com and add us on Twitter and Instagram at Swill Podcast. Swill is a production of Nickname City in Portland, Oregon. City. Nickname City. Almost. <laughs> <laughs>